So this podcast is going out on December the 13th. We're heading into 2022. So what plans have you got? Have you got any plans to make some significant digital sales transformation to your business? Sales transformation generally. Have you thought about agile transformation? Well, I've got a fantastic guest on the show this week who's going to share some amazing stuff with you about agile transformation. You're going to really enjoy this. Anthony Coppage has got some amazing stuff to share with you. So stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 194 of the Better Presentations, More Sales podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Lee, and well, we're nearly at the end of 2021. I've got one more episode uh, in 2021, and that'll be on December the 20th, and I'm basically going to go back through all of the podcasts this year and pick out the best tips from all of the guests. So uh, we've had some amazing guests on. I'm going to try and narrow it down to some sort of top 10 if I, if I can. Um, that might be tricky and I might upset a few people if they're not in the top 10 and in no particular order. But anyway, whatever, whatever format I do, that's, that's the one to look out for next week. So in terms of a guest on the show, this, this is our last guest podcast for 2021. And what a fantastic bloke we've had on the show. Anthony Coppage from IBM leading the agile transformation for the digital sales worldwide of that organisation. And Anthony has got some amazing stuff to share with you. He's, he's really passionate about this subject of agile transformation, and he's going to share how to do it, what to think about. There's some really top stuff in this. So get your pencil and notepad, notepad ready because he, he's gonna, it's just going to be one tip after another from Anthony. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try and do a summary at the end of the podcast as well. But let's go and meet Anthony for now. So, Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm just this guy, you know. Um, so I, I had, uh, you know, sales marketing background and in 2009 stumbled into Agile. So the idea of how do we um, take groups of work, small teams and create value faster, and there's a lot of been written about agile, so I won't go into the big story, but ultimately it's, it's a way of thinking. It's a belief system more than anything. And for me, so it was like someone codified my brain. So when I first saw it, it was like, Oh, wait a minute, all these things I do that are so different from everybody else. Someone else thinks that way too. I always felt like the odd man out. <laughs> and, um, and it was really just the opposite of command and control it was the opposite of telling people what and how to do things. It was believing the best and people and then setting them up for success and then changing from saying here's what we need to do to how do I support you and what you're trying to accomplish and you can have all that clarity and alignment now with uh, with agility and I use um, objectives and key results with that OKRs um, which is just all these things I've learned have just come together in a really neat way for me where I'm able to apply that. So my current role, I work at IBM and I lead the global transformation for agile in digital sales. So here's an area of the world that doesn't typically see agile sales and we're doing it on the inbound side of things with the digital. So the people that come through the website or through a business partner or whatever, and it's those inbound leads that we're, we're trying to understand how do we solve either a pain point or create an opportunity for their success. And Agile is the way we're approaching this. And so I get to lead that effort. And so all these years later, what, uh, 12 years after I first had my first taste of Agile, it's now really become a very core part of the way I bring myself um, and help others bring themselves to deliver value on behalf of others. 
So what have you noticed have been the core benefits of that transformation, Anthony? So I think the whole key of a transformation is, um, I, I like to use the metaphor of the butterfly, right? That's a perfect example of a transformation. And what's interesting, Trevor, is if you look at the caterpillar from whence it came, it has nothing about it that's an indicator or a clue that it has even the potential to become a butterfly. It's not like it's not like having a caterpillar with butterfly wings attached to it where it's sort of an optimized caterpillar. It's, it's an entirely new thing. So it's a transformation is from one state to a new state. And in fact, that new state is unrecognizable from the former on purpose. Um, so what I, I try to describe is that metamorphosis that the caterpillar goes through is a type of change. And so what we want to do is figure out what do we change? And you have to leave some things behind, things that even that got you to where you are. You have to leave them behind, but you make sure you hold on to your DNA because the caterpillar has exactly the same DNA as the butterfly, right? It's the same organism, but the expression of that DNA is so unique that it's unrecognizable on purpose. You know, maybe we needed to be a caterpillar in the 20th century, but in the 21st century, the world's demanding butterflies. And so how do we shift? How do we not just optimize the thing that we used to be, but how do we become what we need to be uh, in the future? And that's really the idea of transformation for me. And transformation, you mentioned the word change there, Anthony. So I'm sure listeners, you know, tuning in, listening right now will be thinking, well, that's all great, but, you know, how do we... How do we make change happen? It's, a, it's, it's not easy to do that, is it? You don't ever make change happen. That's just the first thing, right? You can't force someone to change. You can create the environment or the circumstances to which change is um, required, but you can't make a person change because change is about what they believe. Right. Right. So um, if you think about it, I, I, I use this all the time because it's just such a helpful uh, illustration. Um, I'm a guy who's... Um, who's learned to be a healthier version of myself in every way. So emotionally, physically, uh, psychologically. So there's just, it, it, what, during that journey, that, that transformation of myself, one of the things I had to figure out was what did I believe and why? And it came to a head because a friend of mine who is a uh, clinical uh, therapist and deals with trauma, um, who knows me very, very well. We were having a, a talk and, and she said uh, about dieting and she said, you do know why you struggle with diets. And I looked at her and I said, no, if I knew I wouldn't struggle. <laughs> and, and she said to me, well, it's because of your childhood. And of course, she knows my past and the abuse and all that. And so uh, she, she explored this with me. And, and really what it came down to is I remember my mom's coping mechanism was baking cookies and giving me sweets after a particularly hard day or challenging uh, event with my abusive father. And it was her only way, you know, in her, from her broken state to try to compensate. And so I love sweets, <laughs> but what I really was, I was trying to comfort myself. It, 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 when hard things would happen, I would go to cookies. Right. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> it's not about the sugar. It's not about the cookie. It's, it's what I'm trying to do with it. Once I got that, and it was such a breakthrough for me, it was, well, then how does that translate to the rest of my life? Because if my belief changes, my behaviors will follow. And so it is with business. If I can help by somebody see completely different, completely better way than what they've known, and it helps them be successful, it helps us move needles that matter. It helps us deliver more value. If I can get them to believe that the behaviors will follow. But if all I do is require 
me to say, uh, them to, to do what I say, uh, comply with this, obey this, um, then I can change their behaviors. I can force that, but it doesn't mean I've changed them. I've just got the behavior I want, but I'm not going to get the outcomes I really desire. Why? Because they're not in it. I mean, compliance will give you some result, but then you're successful in spite of, I want to be successful because of, and so I focus on changing hearts and minds and I do so by ruthlessly eliminating low value. And, um, um, I relish really, frankly, I relish destroying mediocrity. And so I want to empower people to, to bring the best because I, if I, if I'm more focused on who they are than what they do, what they do will be better quality. Right. So there, that, that whole thing is really comes down to how do you get people to believe something different? Yeah. And when you when you're operating in a sales transformation uh, zone, Anthony, how, how, what about the rest of the company? You know, I'm thinking particularly around the things that are very close to sales, such as marketing, for example. You know, how do you how do you make that all come together and align it up so that you've not got one bit transformed and one bit untransformed for a sim, in simple terms? Great question, Trevor. And, you know, I can't speak for, um, you know, like Arvind or CEO, but he, he speaks pretty well for himself. And, you know, he talks about the world work we're doing with AI and hybrid cloud and uh, the focus that's there, which means there's focus that's not in other places they used to be. So we already have a transformative mindset around how do we need to become what our, what brings the most value to our customers? And we have a point of view around that that makes us unique. And it's an incredible value proposition and it's a great differentiator. So that mindset's there. But what you've got to also then have is how do you break down the BAU patterns, the business as usual patterns and processes to understand just because you have done it that way doesn't mean you need to continue doing it that way. So we, we evaluate um, the best way I can describe that is another example or illustration metaphor, which is two trees. If you were to see true two trees and one of them was just ginormous, like a, you know, a, a three meter diameter, you know, big old oak, just a huge old tree. But, but what happened is it's never been pruned and there's branches that are so big and so heavy growing in every direction that it's, it's massive, but it's no longer healthy. And, and in fact, if you notice some of the branches are hitting the ground and there's bugs crawling on it and it's got, you know, um, moss and things that are eating it, parasites. So it's very large, but largess is not an indicator of health, right? It was an indicator of growth, but that's not an, always an indicator of health either. But next to it is another tree. Um, and oh, by the way, this, this large tree is planted right next to a river. It's a really good location for a water source. This other tree is a little further off, not quite by the river. Uh, definitely smaller, but its growth is remarkable. And the thing you notice about it is that there's not a single branch on it that points down and out. They all go out and up. And the difference is the prune tree actually has greater long-term sustainable growth than the, te- the tree that's never been pruned. The tree that's never been pruned kind of got large in spite of itself. And it was very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. But that didn't mean it was healthy. And it doesn't mean it'll be sustainable. So what I want to do is understand the truth that says for all the scaling we do, which is multiplication, scaling is a multiplier, you first have to subtract. And in fact, if you don't subtract, you fail because it's, this goes back to middle school math for me, right? Where the order of operation, do the work inside the parentheses. I remember this. And if, if we don't eliminate waste, low value, poor process, broken systems, 
then when we scale, we scale all those negative things. So the first thing you do before you scale is you go ruthlessly eliminate and you optimize not for the thing that's not working, but for what is, which means you're going to choose to leave some things behind. Again, Caterpillar no longer looks like itself when it's a butterfly, yet that is the future state that it desires and needs to be. That's not bad. That's just true, right? So I want to lean into the red and not see the red as failure, but as an indicator of a potential for some change in one way or another. So if our listeners are thinking, you know, they should be making this transformation, Anthony, should they therefore be having a really good look at what they're doing at the moment before they start to think about making the change? I think you have to know your why. And I'm surprised at how many companies don't seem to, how many organizations, including nonprofits, don't seem to. They have a what. Um, They know the revenue they want to make. They know the targets they want to make. They know the product they want to, you know, whatever it is. But their, their why is based on a, a dude named Milton Friedman from around 1970, a famous economist who said the only reason for a company to exist is to generate a profit. And the Internet's called, and they want that quote to go away, right? Because that might have been true. Um, and a lot of companies built themselves very large. But it's not an accident that the fastest growing and largest companies in the 21st century are all companies that either started or have leaned into agility. Business agility is the common denominator. And a lot of our tech companies and a lot of software development that it has a lot of agility, but we're talking about the ability to be customer centric, right? The ability to be iterative in your work and to hold loosely to your plans, to, to be more focused on outcomes than outputs and more focused on uh, creating value for clients than trying to extract value to generate your revenue that you want. Because if I, if I'm going to do a transformation, if I'm going to change, just call it that way, if we're going to change your business, we first have to figure out your why. And so that compelling vision is super important. I think of uh, Kennedy, you know, when he did the Rice University, he did, we're going to go to the moon we're going to put someone on the moon by the end of the decade. That was a really compelling vision. And then he talked about why he's like, because for this, we are unwilling to wait because we choose to, because it's hard. And from this will come technologies for school, for academia, for the, and, and he just really went through and, and created a very compelling vision. So the North star, right? The compelling why was go to the moon. Years later, after they had launched the Apollos, um, he was uh, touring and it was one of the Kennedy Space. I wasn't Kennedy Space Center because he was still alive, but it was probably Johnson. But anyway, I just remember he was he was there and um, he was being introduced to people. President Kennedy was and he sees this guy kind of standing off to the side. So he walks over and he says, so what are you doing here? And this guy looks at him and says, well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. And that man was a janitor. (laughs) <laughs> but he understood that his portion in, a, in some way contributed to a larger thing. His why wasn't, well, I clean the place. His why was, I'm part of an organization that has a very compelling why. And so without that compelling why, it's hard to align any effort to achieve it when you only have metrics um, to, to align that. Because hitting a number doesn't guarantee success. It is usually related to it, but it's not the point. So I want to help change the focus away from how do we hit a revenue target or how do we hit a number, which is important, right? But it's not the most important because if we create value for people, who doesn't want more value? So now price isn't the focus, now value is. 
And so in order to align around that, I, I said, well, then what are the objectives that would add value to our end users, to our clients, to our business partners? Or if I'm in sales with marketing, how do I help marketing be successful? Because marketing and sales are tied at the hip. So these things are the way you approach it. Remember I said it's belief. So if you change what you believe, then the behaviors would follow. You would orient around and towards things that deliver that value, not check a box. And instead, what you get is permission to fail, permission to experiment, permission to push back. Because when some stakeholder with a senior title says, I want X, you go, great, let's look at all we're doing and let's look at the way we are uh, measured for this success towards that, not just the quantitative, but the qualitative and say, without more resources, one of these is going to have to drop in order to add that. Which would you like to drop? What would you like to not do to make that happen? And oh, by the way, the thing you're asking for, we don't actually see a direct correlation between what we're measured on and what you're asking for. So are we looking to expand the scope? Because if so, we're going to expand the resources. Or do we need to hold off on this and say not yet and maybe get some time to think about how we could align it to where we're going so that we hit that moonshot, right? And usually you do that with a bunch of roof shots, <laughs> but without the clarity and alignment, how do you know if you're even doing that? And most companies don't, they, it's because so-and-so said so. And that's a really um, poor way to do it when you're trying to focus on client value. And you talked about being customer, more customer centric, Anthony, when with the agile transformation. So in a big organization like IBM, how what stage did that really start to show through in terms of the way that customers were reacting and recognizing basically what you were up to? Well, it depends on what you're delivering. Let's say you're delivering automation that streamlines the customer experience for ordering online. Well, the indicator of that's going to be your conversion rate, right? So that you might see your, your leads go up, that maybe you don't. But, but if you converted more of what you already have, you're already winning and they're winning. And this is the big difference. We tend to, as, as business people, look at how we win. But the real focus of client-centricity, Trevor, is to say, what's in it for me where me is the client? Mm. <laughs> what's in it for them? So if I focus then, if I orbit around what makes the client successful, if I'm priced fairly and I offer good value, if I make them successful, they're not going to leave. They're not going to go somewhere else and buy something else. They might buy more. They might expand to other offerings I have. They're definitely going to. So what's happening is lifetime value goes up for their benefit because I'm helping them be successful. Oh, by the way, in sales, that's hugely powerful because if I'm talking to you and you say, well, Anthony, I, I want you to help me do this. And we look at it and we come back and we've assessed it. And it turns out seems reasonable with it, with our technology and solutions, you would increase this by upwards of two to 300% and reduce waste by 150%. You know, let's, let's say we figure that out. Well, now you don't really have a reason to ask for a discount and focus on pricing. You know, it's, it's not that I don't want to give you a good value, but the value is in what you get from it, not in what you pay for it. Price is what's focused on when value's not, right? So I want to focus on what the value is. And in a sense, my KPIs are directly related to your success. Because if your KPIs are moving, your indicators for success, I'm doing my job well right? So we win when you win. And I call that orbiting the client, not having the client orbit us. So has the, has the agile transformation, Anthony, enabled you to, as an organization, to, I don't know, speed things up in terms of the way you operate, the bringing things to market, you know, that sort of, you know, and enabling you to do things differently quicker? Is, has it just had that crazy, that momentum 
for the whole organization. Yeah. Those, what you're talking about, I, the language you're using, I hear from a lot of executives and frankly, a lot of consultants trying to sell this, right? And they're like, <laughs> oh, so you're going to have greater urgency and, and go to market faster. It's all about urgency and speed. And here's my point. Those are byproducts of becoming uh, more agile in your in your thinking in your processes. That's a byproduct of being client centric. Why? Because if I focus on delivering more of something to win more deals, uh, that's short term. I might win, but you might go find a better deal next time because now the the focal point's not value. The focal point's price. So I might short term win, but that's a race to the bottom. Not interested in winning that. So instead, what I want to do is frame it not around speed or about urgency. I want to f- frame it around the focusing on delivering real value, measuring that, understanding that, and then repeating and doing it quickly. There is a sense of speed, but the speed is about how quickly we can iterate and pivot based on what doesn't work, not just what does. So failing is not uh, not an option. It's, up, it's a requirement because if I don't test A and B or A, B, and C, how do I know which one's best? One's got to lose. I mean, maybe they all lose and we learn not to do that entirely, but that's still learning. Failure is not bad. The red uh, on a spreadsheet, not bad. It's just true. And if you're learning from it, it can be really helpful. And in fact, innovation never happens because everyone's agreeing. (laughs) Innovation happens because someone has a contrarian point of view, because the status quo isn't enough. And so you have to take small risks. What we're doing is taking very small risks very frequently, but they're very small. So the the impact is low um, in terms of a failure. But if you get upside, you get more upside faster. So speed is the byproduct then of iterating frequently and empowering people doing the work to tell us what they need to deliver that value. It's also listening to your business partners, your clients, looking at the numbers, getting the feedback, assessing that and understanding why. Because when you understand why, then your what can change. But if you don't know why, then it's you're, you're grasping. Um, so I always want to figure that out. I think feedback is not just a gift. Feedback at scale is actionable intelligence, right? And, and I really want to scale that feedback so that we have the ability to use both qualitative and then quantitative, which is feedback data, to tell the entire story, not just the numbers. And if I tell the story, now I get my why. And my why lets me align to my North Star. So if I'm trying to get to the moon and it turns out I'm going to Mars, that might be great, but it's not great today. Right now we gotta get to the moon. And if we also wanna go to Mars, maybe we should do that, but do we still wanna go to the moon? Like it just, you ask better questions when you have clarity. So as the the leader of the Agile Transformation Program, Anthony, are are you always kind of trying to think, you know, not just one step ahead, two steps ahead, three steps ahead, based sometimes on that feedback you're getting from your partners as well, so that you're having to keep pushing for more goals for, you know, to get, you know, make it better all the time. Yeah, it's 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 not a destination, it's a journey. Mm. You're never arriving. Yeah. You never arrive because there's always a way to add more value or reduce low value. Right. And this is the key, you know, I, uh, people, people often, you know, beginning of transformations or new portions of the business that haven't yet heard of this. And the, what they describe to me uh, and they, they tell me about their pain points and they go, we need, we need this pain point solved. And what I almost always say is it sounds like you're in a hole and you want me to help you build a letter, a better ladder. And they're like, exactly. And I go, but I'm not going to do that. What we're going to focus on is how to stop digging. 
right? So if, if you just stop sucking, that's winning, right? Sucking less is winning when you're first starting. Now, eventually you don't want to suck at all, but if you just suck less, right, that's an automatic upside. And that's not very sexy, but it's true. So if we have the ability to reduce waste and eliminate low value and instead free people up to add value, that's huge. Let me make that practical for the listeners. How many meetings are most people in a week if you're in any level of management? The answer is usually too many. And it's not that you're in too many meetings, you're in too many bad meetings. And the reason we have bad meetings is we don't have clarity. There's no agenda. We're meeting because we're doing status updates and people want to know. And so you're called in basically the same meeting two or three different times with different stakeholders and you're repeating yourself or worse yet, you're in a meeting, you don't know why you're there, you don't contribute, you don't receive value, but you're put on the required list and so you show up, right? What we want to do is change that by saying, if you don't, so in my span of my span of care, people that work for me, if you go to a meeting and there's no agenda, I don't care who's leading the meeting, you can leave. I'll take the heat for you. Why? Because if there's not clarity, I'm not going to waste your time. You've got too much high value work to do to be in that meeting. What I'm trying to do is not say we shouldn't have meetings. We should. But we should leverage tool systems, processes, and thinking that get us away from status updates so that we don't have to do that. And that means you have to invest in a way that delivers that insight. I use OKRs. And so we use tools that go along with that, like Workboard. And what we're trying to do is represent the truth. I don't care if it's all red or all green. I really don't care. What I care about is it's true. Because if it's true, I can make meaningful decisions and ask better questions. So what we want to do is, from a transformation standpoint, is meet people where they are and then help them see what's possible, the preferred future state, which will not be sticking those butterfly wings on a caterpillar and saying, well, we have stand-ups, aren't we, Agile? I don't know. I, every time I go to McDonald's, I'm never turned into a French fry. So pretty sure <laughs> the answer is no. Um, what makes you agile is you'll be agile. You won't do agile. And if you're doing agile, it's not agile at all. <laughs> oh, this is great stuff, Anthony. So um, I'm going to ask you in a second just to round this all up and maybe give the listeners a couple of top tips if they if they want to go down this uh, route now. But before I do that, um, if they want to know more about you or find out a little bit about you or even connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, connect with me, but don't pitch me is my one rule on LinkedIn, right? <laughs> uh, I, I just don't respond well to pitches. Try me if you really want to, but um, you, you'll get something back you won't enjoy. Um, so <laughs> I really love connecting There's a with challenge people. Listeners. I'm so relational, Trevor, <laughs> that um, it is a delight to connect with people. But I'm also human and I don't scale. No human does. So what I would say is, you know, let's connect and follow me um, on, on LinkedIn. That'd be probably the easiest place to find me. I'm very active there. Uh, and then let's get to know each other. If I can follow you and see what you're interested in, um, I think that's probably the best way. You can always, you know, um, meet, meet, reach me on LinkedIn. That That's probably the easiest. I'm also on Twitter and it's just Anthony Coppage for both of them. So LinkedIn.com sure. forward slash N forward slash Anthony Coppage or Twitter.com forward slash Anthony Coppage. And I'm sure you'll have these links yep. in the show notes. Those yep. are probably the social media is pretty good for that for me. Great stuff. So a couple of top tips maybe to, to round things off that uh, listeners can think, right, okay, I could do that. We could, we could start on that. Uh, yeah, well, I think I gave a few. Um, you know, one of the biggest things is how do you subtract before you multiply? How do you subtract before you scale? So anything you're currently doing, it would be worth it taking a moment to inventory yourself and go, is this adding value? And if it's not, can you subtract it so that when you do scale, you're not scaling the, the thing that's 
working poorly or not working at all, right? This is a surprisingly simple and misstep I see repeated again and again and again. You'd be surprised at the value of less is more. So the only way to get less is to actually start cutting. So you got to find things that are low value and either uh, either fix them or ruthlessly eliminate them. And I mean ruthlessly. Uh, second thing I would say is, you know, it goes along with what we were talking about earlier too, which is how do you know if you have clarity? If, if it's not easy for people to feel inspired by the things you're trying to achieve, you probably only have goals. Goals generally aren't very inspiring. It's a number to hit. It's a target to achieve. But that doesn't say what's in it for me. I mean, if you're in sales, maybe there's a quota assigned to it and you want to hit quota. But here's the thing. Let those be the byproduct of doing the thing that brings the best of you to your job. How do you bring the best of you? Well, the things that are unique to you should be you uniquely awesome for your organization because if i really want to lead people well i want to focus on what's in it for them and it's true with your customers too what's in it for them mm. if you lead out of a what's in it for others point point of view it's a game changer not i think a kennedy where you know that's not what you can do for yourself do what do you do for your country kind of thing it's um not ask not what your country can do for you what can you do for your country that's the quote don't ask what they can do for you. What can you do for them? Yep. You know, I think management should be two things. How do I remove obstacles to help you be successful? And how do I skill you up in your career and help you succeed in where you want to be, what you want to do? Full stop. That is the entire sum of management right there. There are no other viable reasons to be a good, healthy, sustainable manager. There's lots of reasons to be a control freak and a micromanager, but this isn't that. So if, if you want to focus on it, focus on how do you serve them. And servant leadership is a big part of this. But ultimately, what I would say is there is so much to be said for people. When, when you look at the great resignation going on, they're not leaving companies for the most part. They're leaving bad managers or not, maybe not good managers, right? It doesn't even have to be a bad manager anymore. The, the bar is so low. It's so easy now to go somewhere else. And there's so many companies that are really focusing on true culture, not the ping pong tables, right? Not the, not the beer on tap, the people that actually care. And when you find a culture of caring, you're going to find people will bend over backwards because you're bending over backwards for them right? It's, it is that focus. I don't want managers telling people what to do. I, when I coach, I don't want my managers driving people towards um, hitting a thing. I instead want to go, how do you not inspect? How do you understand? How do you not tell? How do you listen? How do you not drive? How do you support? These are all things that really get the best outcomes, not focusing on outputs output should happen if you drive towards the right outcomes but that's a relational thing right that's not a quantity thing quantity is a byproduct of quality um, when you focus on doing the right things repeatedly and then at scale so maybe that's a little much a little heavy at the end there but um these are things i just no, have found uh, to be so very true and when we see it put into place it's a game changer for culture and it's a game changer for retention it's a game changer for new hires and it's a game changer for the clients because they have better experiences when we focus on making it about them um we win when they win and ultimately i think that's a, a simple but often missed lesson Absolutely. I fully agree with that. There are so many uh, so many fantastic points you make in there and I'm hoping the listeners will think, yeah, I need to put those into action and reflect on what they're doing, especially if they're leaders in that in the in the sales sector, Anthony. So 
Fantastic to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, it's been, you know, a real pleasure. And uh, I've sat here, I've been scribbling my own notes. So I'll put all those notes in the show <laughs> notes as well. So I, I've learned an awful lot as well. So Anthony, on behalf of the listeners, thank you very much. Thank you, Trevor. And thanks to the listeners. Love to get feedback. Good, bad, indifferent. You won't offend me because I'm, I'm really here to try to help you. So if there's something we didn't cover, let's talk about that. If there's something that really resonated, love to hear about that too. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Well, there, you know, Anthony's sharing some amazing stuff there. And, you know, those, those top tips at the end, you know. So if you're going to go on this agile transformation journey, then you've got to take a good look right now at what you're doing. And what you're doing, that's, as he says, of low value. And you've got to eliminate it now. You've got to be prepared to make that happen. Because if, as he says, if you take stuff forward that's of low value, is not really working, then all you're going to do is do more of that and, and scale up the wrong things. So you've got to get that right. And then, you know, you've got to think about, you know, this question that he raised about what's in it for me? What's in it for me as a customer? What's in it for me as a member of your team? all that sort of stuff so think about you know that that people thing isn't it again we keep coming back to that people thing a lot in these podcast episodes so you know do that and then i love the tips right at the end you know about management so if you're in the you know if you're a sales manager and i was for 26 years you know think about those things he said about those two things for management and leadership effectively you know you're there to remove obstacles and help your team succeed what a great way of summarizing that all up now, Anthony said about, you know, connecting with him on LinkedIn. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. So if you enjoy listening to this podcast in 2021, then please do leave a review. Do share it. Uh, do comment on it on LinkedIn or something like that as well. That would be fantastic. So one more episode for you for the end of the year. It's going to be a summary of all the best bits from the shows that we've had this year. All the tips that have been shared by some amazing guests. So thank you for listening. Please, you know, do share it. Tell others to listen as well. And I'll see you for the final episode of the year next week. Thank you.